2: Happy Friday afternoon, I guess. At this point, I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights podcast. Big show today. It's uh I'd call it more of an old miss preview. I had my old radio pal Michael Borkey on to talk a lot of old Miss Louisville and then kind of just some old Miss Season outlook as a whole before we kind of te- you know dove off into Mississippi State and then just some LSU stuff at large. Always enjoyed talking some football with Borky. hadn't caught up with him in a while. So I think you'll enjoy that. And then we're going to get to uh, LB's Greg's going to make his picks in the, uh, I guess like third year, fourth year, somewhere around there of us doing some version of what we used to call fresh cuts where we just blindly make picks. We are not handicappers. I would leave that to the experts at Skybox, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, we enjoy doing it every year, just kind of shooting the shit, talking uh, some lines and what, whatnot. Um, so we make our picks. I'll do a better job than I have in the past keeping up with them this year. But, again, we are not good at this. That is not the point of the segment. So uh, I would say fade us uh, at all costs. So anyway, pretty good show. I think you'll enjoy it. I appreciate everyone uh, tuning in throughout the week. I uh, appreciate uh, the feedback on the board uh, regarding just the podcast we've had this week. And uh, i worked hard to get uh, hopefully some good content out with you heading into game week. Appreciate everyone bearing with me on some uh, sporadic times and maybe some different uh, audio levels with regard to the podcast. Uh, I decided it'd be a good week to uh, move apartments during football season. So the uh, timing and the scheduling of things has been a little dicey. Not that you care at all what I'm doing in my own personal time, but I just appreciate uh, you guys bearing with me and enjoying the podcast. So uh, before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by our new sponsor, Skybox Butlers. Skybox Butlers is a cooler and locker stocking service. If you sit in the luxury or club seating, bought Hemingway Swayze field, the pavilion, these guys, aim to make your game day experience better. Don't stress about that truncated window of time the day before a game to go stock up your locker with beverages. Let these guys handle it for you. All you got to do is go to skyboxbutlers.com type in what you need stocked in your locker. They'll go get it for you, put it in your locker. And every, that's one less thing to worry about as you come into Oxford for the weekend, you can do sign up for a full season, you can do game by game, really whatever you're viewing in person viewing uh, habits are for Ole Miss athletics, they'll accommodate you. They'll also stock your Grove cooler if you give them a shout. It does not include tent setup, but they will go put everything you need in your Grove cooler at the designated spot in the Grove, which is always clutch because I know that's a pain in the ass getting coolers into the Grove as well, even though there's no time window on it per se. It's just a pain in the butt to lug around. It's a pain in the butt to stock. Just let the professionals hand it. Handle it for you. The guys at Skybox Butlers are awesome. A pair of old misgrads that I've known since, I don't know, four or five years old. And they're certainly filling a need. I think this is a cool concept and certainly one that is worth using. Check them out, skyboxbutlers.com. They're offer- also offering a new service this year, which is a condo concierge service, which is basically just a turnkey uh, grocery delivery service. You need uh, any sort of uh, beverages, wink, wink, or Uh, groceries, whatever the case may be, they will deliver it to your condo. So if you're coming in from out of town, that's one less thing to worry about. They'll even uh, turn the thermostat down for you, which is always clutch, not hot as hell or cold as hell or vice versa when you're getting settled into your condo for the weekend. So go check these guys out, skyboxbutlers.com. You can find them uh, online. It's pretty simple. You just type in some basic information and then they will have that covered for you. But if you prefer to do it over the phone, you can call them at 601- 850-8932. So check those guys out. They are awesome and they will make your game day weekends that much better because it's one less thing you have to worry about. All right. Here is my old radio pal, Michael Borke. All right. We now welcome on recurring guest friend of the program, my old radio cohort, Michael Borkey, Super Talk Mississippi Utility Man. Obviously, you're on the show personality of the show you make the show happen you give the rundown i didn't know a better description you basically just carry the show is that is that accurate
1: yeah i'll take credit for that okay sweet Uh, yeah that's not what the website says under my bio it doesn't say he carries the show but i kind of feel like that that's the case although a, a guy today called me the most arrogant of the three on the text line today because we were talking about the, uh, the GM of the Packers saying it would have been nice if they would have moved the game to Green Bay, but they didn't have any say. And people in New Orleans are kind of freaking out about it. And I said, you know, I, I kind of get it. I get where they're coming from because they just saw their region, their city, their, their cities without power and water and all kinds of stuff. And you know west of new orleans especially is flattened and this guy's up here saying well it would have been nice if they'd have played it in green bay and they're like no screw you man like we just got hit by a hurricane what are you even talking about and a guy said well they're just a bunch of snowflakes and my reply was i I hesitate to call people that just saw their homes get flattened snowflakes and that was the response i got so maybe that can be in my bio as well
2: if you're the most arrogant on the show i is that the same guy? I still know in the host chair.
1: What show is he listening to? Yeah. I don't see maybe he
2: just mutes one third of the show. But I appreciate you. Uh I appreciate you hopping on. We'll talk a lot of Ole miss. Probably get in some state and some other SEC stuff and just kind of consider it a season preview. I did say what well, the last time we did a podcast was kind of the whole like year in review as we thought we were coming out of this COVID thing a couple months ago. I did say we would hop on and talk football again before football season. And uh, true to form, I did it the day before. So uh, just very much staying on brand with that one. But it's nice. I guess that's the best way to start is the radio angle of it. And I kind of started with this with Dad the other night, too, as we finished up our opponent previews. You know, I'm in a little different sphere now where I do my podcast. And, uh, you know, it's not my full-time gig anymore. And so I kind of have the freedom to, like, you know, do some golf stuff, do some different things, and I'm not like it, like my full-time paycheck doesn't rely on it anymore, but even just me doing it part-time now, I have to imagine that it's just a gigantic relief to just not have to sit there and talk about capacity cancellations. Is the season going to happen? I mean, we're only a year removed from that. And I don't know, like I I'm known to be skeptical and snarky and whatever, but I am eternally grateful. We don't have to do that shit again
1: yeah it is nice i mean we've we've had some people recently ask us hey you know are there going to be restrictions or anything like that and the response is always it's possible but it doesn't feel like it at this point because they would have announced them by now but the the peace of mind has been so nice i mean not not to get too down into the woods in in too deep but man um uh, 2019 was a hell of a year for me and um you probably noticed it, but but I was not myself. Um, you know, some things happened in my personal life, and I was really just down deep. You know, and I remember laying in bed on New Year's Eve, thinking "2020 is going to be my year." You know, <laughs> I swear to God that happened. I've laid in bed <laughs> on New Year's Eve, telling myself "2020 is going to be a good year." Fast forward three months later. My birthday is the day that the sports world shut down. So Rudy Gobert tested positive on March 11th and March 12th, my birthday was when everything closed. So it's, um, you know, things have gotten better since then. And uh, not just with, with COVID and stuff, but personally as well. So it it was a, it it was a deep, dark hole I was in and and I was inconsistent and crazy and, and all over the place and emotional and a wreck. And then COVID came after that. So uh, it is nice to uh, to have a year of relative normalcy where the only thing we're talking about is whether or not you got to cover your face in the stadium, but guess what? You're going in regardless. That's really nice to not have to even think about that anymore.
2: I don't remember people's birthdays in general, but I definitely forgot that ours is like a couple of days apart, and I could not relate to that more because I was kind of in the same – I was fine. Like, I was happy. I enjoyed doing the radio every day, covering Ole Miss. I mean, I was going to games for a living. I wasn't, like, unhappy – but I was in that weird phase where I was like 24, 25. I'd been in Oxford a long time. I was like, okay, what's next? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I wasn't like dying to leave radio and super talk and all that. But I obviously knew I wasn't going to retire there. So I kind of got in like the like, creative rut at the end of 2019. And I was like, I just didn't think like I had a good year. That football season is as disastrous as that was. And I kind of had the same thought around New Year's. I was like, all right, 2020, I'm going to figure it all out. And this is going to be a great year. <laughs> and I went to Fort Worth to visit MC, March 7th, took two days off of work, had a nice birthday, we went to uh, the Stars game on my birthday, and then I'm driving back March 10th, March 11th, whatever, the, I guess it was March 11th, yeah, two days later, and the world shut down, and then I remember looking up one day in August, like right before i just gotten this job out here in marketing, I was like, okay, so this was not the year, this did not turn out how I thought, I lost my job, we don't have sports <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm about to go work for a grease recycling company. Like, this is not how I planned it. But, man, am I grateful that, at least from a sports sense, we're going back to normal. You know, you talk about it's possible to have restrictions. I don't think so, like, in that sense. I don't want – No, it's too late now. They don't want to – yeah, they don't want to lose the – it is too late. That's probably the best answer. But they don't want to lose the money. And with the vaccine available, they have a reasonable shield. So, Yeah. yeah, I don't think that's happening. I'm a little surprised there hasn't been more of a, I'm not even saying I agree, disagree with this. I'm a little bit surprised there hasn't been like a SEC mandate or everyone just hopping on board and requiring proof of acts to get in games because that is becoming more and more mainstream with like businesses and stuff. Um, And again, agree, disagree, that's not for me to decide and I'm not trying to tell you what, not you, the collective you out there, what's right and wrong. I am just a little bit surprised that that is not caught on more and there isn't, I don't know, 10 of 12 schools requiring vaccinations or 10 of 14, whatever. That's been the only surprising part to me.
1: Isn't the answer simply financial? I think uh, your cohorts, Neil and Chase, have talked about it a good bit lately. So uh, forgive me if I'm parroting for those of you that listen to them every day uh, and not just Rippy. It's there is clearly a deterrent. And. Like, the Saints can do this, and who knows what their situation is going to be moving forward. But they can afford to do the vaccine proof of negative test, wear a mask. Because, look, if, if that keeps 20,000 people out of the stadium, the league is still giving them $10 billion at the end of the season. Like, like they can afford to have that be the case. Ole Miss cannot afford to have that be the case. And so any deterrent whatsoever was going to keep people away. And as, you know, it's been talked about so much before COVID even hit, it is becoming easier and easier and easier to not go to games. Yep, You're getting priced out. It's uncomfortable, all that stuff. And COVID has probably, not probably, ruined the concept of filling your stadium seven Saturdays a year. I don't think that, that may never happen again. I was thinking about this earlier, right before he came on. Old Mrs. Home Opener this year is Austin P to nobody, right? But the fan base morale right now is through the roof. All right. Through the roof. Even in the Hugh Freeze era when they were really winning games, there was still something there. There's nothing there right now. It's just all this is incredible. This is great. There will be thousands and thousands of empty seats for Old Mrs. Home Opener in a couple of weeks. They're not filling the stadium. I mean, they are they're, they're not they're not going to sell out the game. They're not going to fill the stadium. 2013, Ole Miss hosted SEMO, not an empty seat at kickoff. And it's not because of Hugh Freeze's was fans were more excited or whatever. It's because the climate now, I think, will not allow for people to spend hundreds of dollars in a full Saturday to go watch Ole Miss play Austin P and beat them by 50 when they've got a 75-inch TV for half the – of going to that game with a family of four. It's changed forever, and COVID's only expedited that.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Neil and Chase were talking about this the other day. I don't listen to them as often as I should. I'll blame the desk job on that one. But Neil brought up the point where it's like you throw something on the grill, you put it on in your backyard, you watch the game – On the TV and even just from my perspective, you know, I got a little bit of a change and I know even like guys that still work in it full time got this last year just because of the circumstances, but like you like it was my job last year even just doing a podcast for the spirit was like, like I had to keep up and you could keep up with so much more shit with the game on television. The camera angle's better, like, the if the announcer's good and the color guy's good, they're feeding you some stats, you're kind of keeping up with more of what's going on in the game. Where if you are sitting in a press box, all you're getting is the public address, the pop press box public address, and just telling you, like, you know, so-and-so carried the football for however many yards. Like, it's so much better vantage point to watch on TV. And then, of course, as Neil was pointing out, you put six, 12 beers in the fridge, you know, you're in bed 10 minutes after the game and you spent, what, 35 bucks? If you do the Rippy Rights deal with the LBs, you spent 20 bucks plus the 12-pack. Like, it's just so much more convenient. So I agree. I mean, that's, that's why you're not seeing it more mainstream. And I knew the answer to that when I was saying it. I just was wondering, I, I don't know. It's like it's crazy that, like, you know, in a day and age where corporations and large companies kind of cave to public social pressure, whether that's rightly or wrongly, College football's kind of been the outlier in that. The SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC were like, "Actually, we're going to have a season last year. I don't know what those nerds in the Midwest are doing, but we'll probably play football." And like it's kind of been interesting to see them uh, you know, kind of buck the trend or buck any sort of social pressure and that hasn't been a ton of calls for, you know, vaccination mandates in SEC games. I'm sure there's plenty of people on the internet that would like to see that. So I guess I'm not as surprised but I just figured it would eventually catch on. But so anyway, we're going to have full stadiums. Love the loophole that Mercedes-Benz did for the game. They're slightly opening that roof of that nice-ass stadium, the retractable roof, so you don't have to wear a mask. That's always a sweet loophole. Ole Miss and Louisville, good place to start. People listening this Friday before the season, everyone's amped up. We'll start with Ole Miss before we do doing the SEC stuff. I am fascinated by this game. And as we record this on a Wednesday night, I just had, uh, and this is not a spoiler at this point because that'll be the Thursday show. Cameron Teague, the Louisville Cur- Courier Journal beat writer, on, and he disproved some preconceived notions I had about Louisville, and it made me fascinated with the matchup. And I'll throw a couple of things at you first. I just I'll start with an open-ended one. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Take this wherever you want to go with it.
1: Oh, uh, that's a, a loaded question. Actually, I, I think that. Um... I've heard a lot lately of people thinking that this is going to be a, a a track meet where Louisville is going to be able to score a bunch of points and, and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe they do. Until the Ole Miss defense proves that they've gotten better, we only have what we've seen to go by, and it's not good. However, what I've seen from Louisville, and, and you're going to throw something at me from somebody that knows the team better than I do, but they, right now, this is a Louisville team that was, what, top 40 in total defense last year better against the pass, one of the better-ish pass defenses in college football That are replacing basically everybody. A lot of new faces on that defense, and they didn't exactly replace talent with talent. I mean, they brought in some transfers that came from lesser schools that weren't exactly all that productive at those lesser schools. Their recruiting profile at 24-7, they're like in the 60s as far as total team talent, and I know that doesn't tell the whole story. There's nothing exactly remarkable offensively in terms of weapons, they have a quarterback that's a hell of an athlete, a really dynamic athlete that, you know, might give Ole Miss problems on Monday. But if this to me is a close game, then you're going to have a very similar season as you did last year. Very similar. Because if Ole Miss cannot stop Louisville, if they are getting scored on at will, then they're not beating anybody of consequence. It'll be just like a year ago. So this is a team that they're better than, or they should be better than. It's a team that they should beat and beat, I mean, handedly, honestly, if they've improved at all defensively. So if it's close, if it's what some people think, where the guys on the Jacksonville State UAB broadcast were saying the over-under should be set at 172, if it's anything like that, then this is going to be a really tough year for Ole Miss because then every single – it'll be just like last year, just like last year, if they can't stop Louisville – They're not stopping anybody.
2: And I'm glad you went there, particularly on the defensive side of the football because. That's what I was talking to Cameron Teague about it. And look, this guy—this is not a spoiler because this podcast is one already come out. And two, this guy's not a homer. Like he's good at his job. He's a Louisville beat writer for a you know statewide newspaper. There, like he's not some guy that you know shows up to the press box in U of L gear and is trying to try to paint a rosy picture. I mean, his work speaks for itself. I've read it you know over the last couple of months trying to get familiar with it. That's what I thought too. I wrote in the newsletter in the week was like. Hey, you know, admittedly, I didn't watch a ton of a four and seven Louisville football team last year. Sorry, hand up on me on that one. Just probably was not the peak of my interest. They lost ten gut set guys in the secondary and lost their safeties coach and replaced them with an FCS transfer and a Georgia Southern transfer. At safety, and the thing that shocked me about that was is I kind of asked him a loaded question was it seems somewhat obvious that the biggest question mark or potential weakness is the secondary and he said I actually think the secondary is going to be the strength of this defense now I knew they had good corners Chandler Jones and Keetra Clark are two good corners I think Jones was the one that got named preseason first team all ACC by pretty much everybody but the depth behind them was not good but he says what from what he's seen in camp that those safeties are going to turn into NFL players. They just haven't gotten the exposure they needed at Louisville. You know, take of that, make of that what you will. But I was very surprised to hear him say that he thinks there's a chance that that secondary becomes the strength of the defense. Because, you know, on the surface, you know, we don't follow Louisville every day. You lose 10 guys, you lose your safeties coach from a secondary that was good last year, but also lost a lot of dudes beyond the roster attrition. I was very surprised by that.
1: Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, if all of that is true and, and I have no reason to doubt it, but I mean, is, is there really any reason to think that even if they have a secondary, that's quite good, even upper half in college football and better that Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy and Jerry and Ely and Braylon Sanders can't still have success. I mean, that's the thing. I, I did an interview recently with somebody that covers Louisville and he asked, you know, what is this offense going to be like without elijah moore and i said probably still pretty incredible Uh, it's although elijah moore was their yards getter in the past game and he certainly was uh, they led the sec in rushing and i don't think the receiving group is as barren of talent as some people have suggested i mean lane kiffin himself who doesn't tell anybody anything ever like he doesn't hype up any player he doesn't say anything in a press conference that braylon sanders is a first rounder well if that is the case then they're going to be fine. So that, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but that doesn't scare me at all. Well, they've got pretty good corners. Yeah, I've seen Matt Corral under the tutelage of Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy torch NFL corners multiple times last season against defenses with much better pass rush and possibly, not possibly, better coaching and better talent overall. So even without Elijah Moore, if you're telling me that Louisville's got a pretty good secondary, th- that's fine. Uh, elite secondaries couldn't stop this offense a year ago. I don't expect that to change.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that one. The fascinating part with me on this is if that secondary ends up being what it's cracked up to be, their defensive coordinator, Brian Brown, is a pretty good defensive coordinator. His track record speaks for itself. And, you know, I've tried particularly, you know, kind of going into this football season. to Shout gain, out old
1: Miss on that one, by the way.
2: What? He's an alum. Oh, yeah, that is also true. I didn't even think about that. the That aspect of it, I should have asked Cameron about that now that I think about it. But, like, be that as it may, it's interesting to me because one of the things that Corral did struggle with last year was when def- defenses were pretty good at disguising coverages. And I'm really mostly talking about Arkansas because if you look at the context of that LSU game, he was just trying to make shit happen shorthanded in the rain. Like, there was a lot more context needed to be added to that game. where well, Arkansas kind of confused him. And that three, four defense, he's pretty good at both, kind of getting creative with blitzes and disguising coverages and so like if there's one trip up if you told me Matt Corral threw two or three interceptions this game I I would say that they just kind of put his brain in a pretzel with some sort of coverage they ran Do I think that's necessarily likely no I don't think that's likely at all but that would certainly be the case for it but I find their pass rush interesting because I think Ole Miss is pretty good on the offensive line they're thin on the exterior if you ever look behind the first team tackles it's like okay you better hope they don't get hurt but with the way from everything I've watched over the last month or so, whether it just be trying to find YouTube stuff or really anything I can find and read is it's the, with this, with this defense, it's like, it's not your traditional three man, odd man front. It's less about like gaps and stuff and more about angles. And they're very much you know, they can get by with good pass rush without having necessarily a dynamic playmaker like a Sam Williams or an inside linebacker, nice to, like, whatever you want to call it. I mean, hell, their they're, they're leading sack, uh, their sack leader last year didn't start. Like, it's very much about doing your job as opposed to kind of having dynamic skill set. And I find that aspect of it fascinating. But again, at the same time, it, as people have already listened to probably the Thursday show, Like Cameron Teague at the same time was like, I don't think they're going to stop or shut down Ole Miss. Like those two things can be mutually exclusive. Like he told me the path to Louisville winning this game is that they score 35 points, they hold Ole Miss to four touchdowns and hope that's pretty much all it is. So like he wasn't even making the case that they argue it. I just kind of found some of the things about them surprising. And the other side of that, which is probably the more interesting side, is Malik Cunningham. I don't know how much you know about this kid. So he's changed his name two times. Have you seen this? Yeah. When you try to go look up stuff on this kid, whether it's draft stuff or film or whatever, he was Malik, then he was McHale. Now he's Malik again. And as someone with three names that no one understands, I'm thinking about trying this shit. It, it couldn't hurt. I might go by Scott. You might talk to me next year on the podcast, a couple of months from now. I might be Brian. Might add a fourth name in there. But...
1: Well, didn't Kanye West drop uh, everything except for Yee? It is.
2: It, I was thinking either that, where yeah. I could just go Ann. I don't know. Drop the BRI. Um, I could go further Bride. out there, Metal metal World Peace.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, probably would be a dead giveaway. Too. I went to Eastover School, but, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: but Malik Cunningham is an interesting test case because if you look at his 2019 numbers, you know, 20-something touchdowns, five interceptions, 60-something completion rate, I think the only reason he probably didn't get more notoriety – in the ACC, which was actually a pretty loaded ACC quarterback class that year when you talk about Trevor Lawrence, Jamie Newman, Sam Howell. There's one other name in there I'm forgetting that I can't remember who it was or who they played for, but it was pretty loaded. He was kind of, in some ways, the third best passer. He just didn't pass the ball a lot. He started 11 games, played in 12, and I think he only threw the football like 200 times and completed like you know 140 of them or something or 220 for 140 But then last year, he just turned the ball over a ton, and Cameron Teague attributed that to him just trying to force the issue. Just from what you've kind of learned about the kid so far, like, in my opinion, I think he's capable of beating Ole Miss single-handedly if he's the best version of himself, but I just don't know what to expect because the two years from a turnover perspective are such a contrast.
1: Yeah, and fumbles, especially nine fumbles last year. I would change my name, too, if I coughed up the the football that much. But uh, use the word test. I think that's a a very – Very good word because, I mean, he's not even the best non-conference quarterback they're going to see this year, at least according to the draft people. Uh, But you'll multiple times this year, you will have dynamic quarterbacks, guys that can throw and run, and better than him. I mean, you'll see one from Alabama. You'll see one from Texas A&M. Haynes King, he can run, although he looks like he shouldn't be playing football at all. Uh, You'll have it. Obviously, with, uh, with Liberty, you'll have it with Auburn. So, if they're able to contain him, keep him in a pocket, force him to throw the football a little bit, if he is not beating them with his legs, and that's a pretty good sign for maybe uh, some improvement on that side and good sign for things to come. But, yeah, I'm with you. I, it's a huge test, especially for the linebacker position, where you're going to see a couple of names that you've never seen before. Uh, Chase Campbell, and then uh, apparently they might start a – transfer from simo who last was playing running back
2: interesting story
1: mark robinson yeah interesting
2: fascinating story that kid is
1: but so it'll be a huge test for them it's not the best quarterback they're going to see though so if it's a scenario that you're laying out like i said before if he is able to keep louisville in this game by himself then it's really a bad sign for, for Ole miss moving forward really bad sign uh but he can do it i mean he's a hell of an athlete but I mean, from your conversations and from what I've seen, is there anybody else that they have that can stretch you or or stress you worse than anything that they could possibly see this year? That's what I keep going back to. I mean, you look at Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M, and everybody would say, oh, well, he did it all by himself. He was throwing to Mike Evans. You know, how many quarterbacks have really, since Cam Newton, won games at a high level alone? yeah nobody and you th- can't do that and they have to replace what about 60 something
2: percent of the catches they had last year because they lose two two atwell and the other kid's name yeah now escaping me which i just I watched something on him about 10 minutes before we started recording so that shows how <laughs> shit my memory is they are having to replace that it's it'll be interesting to see what their receivers look like in this game because they do have a couple guys that have some some speed and I'm just curious to see what that actually looks like in a game situation because both the receiving corps are relatively unproven in that sense but I tend to agree with you but there also is a world because Louisville is pretty good at running back and it's a lot of zone concepts and particularly if they're having success Louisville should have pretty good guard play where if they're having success in the interior run game like Ole Miss could like they could beat Ole Miss with the whole read option zone read stuff and then really just kind of I guess creating space in the passing game off of that. Like you wouldn't even have to know any one of their receivers names that they're having that sort of success in the run game. There is a case to be made where they could beat Ole Miss strictly based off of that. But I kind of in agreement, like he doesn't seem to have the same weapons he had around him. Another thing that was surprising to me that Cameron Teague dropped on me was the fact that if you watch some of the highlights from Cunningham, he seems to be pretty damn accurate in the 15-ish yards range and in. And it's not that he was bad with the deep ball. From what I saw, they didn't do a lot of it, but he kind of corrected me on that one and thought it was the opposite. He thought it they threw a hell of a deep ball and that it was everything else, that sometimes his mechanic gets off and he gets off rhythm and it doesn't look great on some of the more intermediate throws. And it couldn't have been that bad. I mean, hell, the kid completed 65% of his passes last year But, like, I guess if you're trying to account for not having dynamic playmakers in the receiving game, it's probably just having some kid that's fast as shit and getting beat on a couple of deep balls. I think that that would be the case I would make. The other side of you talk about is the whole running game thing. It is a tough test for a defense that isn't proven yet because, like, Ole Miss could have it generate a pretty good pass rush, but if Sam Williams and whoever is on the other side, whether it's Cedric Johnson or Tariqus Tisdale, you know, whiffs a couple of times – like that kid could turn that into a 20, 30 yard play. Whereas if you have a kid that wasn't a running threat in the first game, I feel like that would be a much easier first test.
1: Oh, for sure. And especially because now you can excuse last year's defensive performance in terms of coaching because of simply how untalented they were, if that's even a word, but they did some things poorly that don't require talent. I mean, the, the amount of times that they, would lose contain, like what you're talking about. If Sam Williams uh, does not contain the edge, then they're in trouble, and no amount of talent can fix something like that when you've got an athlete like Cunningham. So there were things that last year that they did poorly that did not require talent to do well. And now that you've had a a regular offseason, and, I mean, looking at the depth chart, it's pretty remarkable on the talent side of things how much that side of the ball has been turned over. Uh, I guess Tavius Robinson's hurt because he wasn't listed at the de- on the depth chart, but you have a chance where almost every person on the field on defense in a given play on Monday is a Kiffin guy. Yeah, I mean, I mean like that, that that's a, a recruiting class and a half because you, you, a new coaches with the December signing day's first recruiting class should not count against them or for them, honestly. It's just like, You scramble and just hope to keep the commits the school's already got and then move on. So in a cycle and a half, you're looking at a defense that two years ago, what, two, three, four faces that will play significant time for Ole Miss were playing significant time for them back then?
2: That 2018 defense might be the worst I've ever seen. Even worse than last year? I mean – I'll give them the benefit of the doubt last year to where they have the non-normal year to where I'm like, look, I, I don't want to like make an excuse because they were not great last year. They couldn't stop anybody. But I mean, what's Wesley McGriff's excuse? What was the toy? Tw- if I had to hear the word, the phrase leaky yardage or eye discipline again, I'll probably just go jump off this balcony that I'm sitting next to. Like I, I like if they're, are at least adverse circumstances, to where, like, well, I don't understand what the excuse was in 2018 other than a talent deficiency, but they were just so bad scheme-wise. I'd give the nod to the 2018 team. But when you talk well, about Because how... you
1: got to limit the menu, Rippy. you got to limit the menu. You oh, limit the menu. When, when, you are, when you are lacking talent and you are playing against SEC defenses, the one thing you should do is make yourself predictable because that'll work. Leaky yardage. That, that's a $1,200,000 worth of advice right there. Let's do less things when we lack talent, and not even scheme up at all, and that'll definitely work in the SEC.
2: Yeah, I mean, you probably knew it wasn't the greatest hire at his opening press conference, where he's basically calling coordinators that coach from the booth and not on the field bitches. Um, you probably knew that was he was probably not the most like <laughs> substantial, <laughs> substantial hire possible. But when you talk about the depth on and the turnover defensively, that's probably most underscored by the secondary because. You know, judging off the depth chart that they released on Monday, which is the first depth chart of really any kind we've seen, I don't remember if they released a spring one. I doubt they did, just knowing Kiffin. But, you know, Kedron Smith, technically not a starter. I think he's going to play a bunch. You know, Jalen Jordan, who gave them some good reps, put that safety in its slot corner last year, not a starter. DeAndre Prince, who showed some real promise as a freshman in 2019, really athletic kid. Uh, not a starter at this point. And like, that's not like, Mohamed
1: Sanogo like, is another one. I mean, yes. And I mean, West Jones right
2: transferring out of the program, right? I mean, you know, I think probably saw the writing on the wall with the key Henry and Chance Campbell. And honest to God, there's probably a little bit of the whole Mark Robinson thing in there to where that kid started turning heads in the spring. And West Jones was like, I'm probably not going to play as many snaps. I'm out of here. And I don't really blame the kid for it, but I do think it's indicative of being them being more talented. The course The more questions I have, because I do think they'll be improved in the secondary, because one, they couldn't get worse. Two, you get Otis Reese for a full season. Three, you get Dean Leonard back for a second kind of full normal season. I think A.J. Finley will take a leap this year. I don't know what to make of Jake Springer, but I presume he's probably going to be pretty good if he beat out Kedron Smith at strong safety, or at least, you know, is going to start the first series. It's a defensive line. Can you get Sam Williams to commit on a snap-by-snap basis to being a little bit more consistent? And then, you know, until you see it, I would like to see, you know, what that rotation looks like on the interior between Quentin Bivens, Isaiah Aiton, Jamon Gordon, and KD Hill. Like, are they going to still be kind of sharp and soft up the middle? I think they'll be better, but I'd like to see it first. Because, you know, if Louisville's running for five, six yards of carry over the first quarter and a half, this defense could be in for a long night, even if the secondary's playing pretty well.
1: Oh, for sure. And it's um... – All they need to do, and this is something that's been said probably a thousand times, but it bears repeating, because all this defense needs to do is be competent, Get the occasional stop. That's really it. I mean, honestly. So they were the second worst defense in SEC football history last year uh, in terms of total yards per game in conference play. Only 2016 Tennessee was worse, and that was only by like three feet. So, I, I mean, the worst defense in SEC football history a year ago. And you can make an argument that in a 10-game season, they should have won eight. You can make that argument. So all that team needs to do, all they need to do is get multiple stops a game. They don't even need to be a top 40 defense. I mean, if they just improve by half, if they are able to force multiple punts a game and be competent, then, I mean, this is a – New Year's Day bowl game kind of team. That that's all they need to be. And so I I think understandably so, a lot of people are overemphasizing the conversation about this defense. They don't need to be so much better. They don't need to just dramatically change everything about them from a year ago. They just need relative competency. And they will be in every single game that they play this season. If they are just competent, and their quarterback doesn't throw six interceptions in a game. That's it. That's the recipe for being in every single game. That's how thin or, or how close they were a year ago in a COVID year with the worst defense in SEC football history. And yeah, and like a that close.
2: A quicker way to like not cheat that, but to kind of, I guess, maybe bolster your what you appear to be eye test-wise versus what you actually are is to create more turnovers, which is what they were sorely lacking last year, which is what – Arkansas kind of rode through the first three, four games last year. Like I think they, you know, they ended up three and seven, as great as that Sam Pittman story was early on. And I think that defense forced like 14 turnovers. And I want to say like 10 or 11 of them came in the first like four games or something absurd like that. I think they could probably thank Matt Corral for that one, for providing six of them, but the point still stands. If you can turn the football over, you know, a little bit, just even a little bit more than you were last year, that's, you know, a stop plus whatever yardage you're at and wherever you're at on the field. And I think that'll be a big key, particularly as they, you know, they still lack depth, you know, they're still not as talented as they want to be at pretty much all positions. I think the secondary might be the closest. I don't know. You can make an argument for linebacker. Like that's a quick way to kind of play above your ceiling as a defensive. You can turn the football over at a much higher clip than you did a year ago. And I know I'm stating the obvious there, but I mean, hell, you're playing a team that turned the football over 22 times last year, 24, whatever it was, they were 119th in the FBS in turnovers. Like they're certainly turnover prone. You know, if they
1: force two, I don't, what's the case that Louisville is within 10? No, there isn't one, but you say you're stating the obvious, but it's because that's all it takes. I mean, it's obvious because it's true. I mean, that's all it takes. It's um, I don't know if it's, uh, delusional or not to expect this offense to not miss a beat without Elijah Moore, but I think all of these things can be true at once. I think uh, Elijah Moore should be, you know, it's still summer, right? Mount Rushmore season should be on the Mount Rushmore of Ole Miss wide receivers and, and in the conversation for one of the best. this season he has SEC-only defenses in eight games is unbelievable.
3: I don't think you third. can –
1: it's stupid what he did last year. It doesn't make sense, but he did it. Uh, And he also put up with a lot and also got Matt Luke fired. I mean, the guy's a legend. He he retired number eight and built a statue. He's done so much for Ole Miss football in so many ways. You can't replace a guy like him. Uh, The the question all summer, who's going to replace Elijah Moore? Nobody. Matt Corral at media days was asked that question. He said, nobody, you don't replace him. So he's special. One of the best to ever play at a school that has Laquan Treadwell, Mike Wallace, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, all that. He's one of the best, if not the best, at least for one season. You can't replace him. And also, I don't think the offense is going to miss him. I think all of that can be true at once, as insane as that sounds. And I think it's mostly because of the way they approached game planning a year ago. Uh, It sounds so simple, but it's got to be more difficult than that, because if so, everybody would do it. The way they schemed up their opponent every week was so special because when you compare that to the other team in this state, it's the opposite. It is you're fitting into this round hole, and we're going to run this round hole into the ground, and that's what we're going to do. And he does have a two-decade-long sample size of it working with relative success. But when you watched Old Miss last year, there were things they did offensively that were only catered to their opponent that they were playing that week. And you never saw it again because they they schemed, literally schemed for their opponent. And it sounds so simple. Why doesn't everybody do that? There were wrinkles in the offense that were done opponent specific every single week. And then I was listening to uh, Scott Satterfield's press conference and he, he kind of touched on it where uh, Ole Miss will ex- find something that you do wrong. So they'll get the personnel matchup that they like and then they'll go fast. So you are so conscious on defense to not give them the matchup that they want, so you're constantly trying to substitute and stuff like that and not give them those matchups, and then they'll get it, and then boom, suddenly they hurry up, and you can't get guys off the field, and they will just exploit that mismatch over and over and over and over and over again, and that's how they were able to score so quick last year because at times they were really patient. They, they ran a fast offense, but if you go back and watch Ole Miss, they, they were patient a lot where they would wait, you know, do some substitutions, whatever it may be, then exploit the matchup and then go fast. And defenses couldn't catch up. And Satterfield was talking about that today. So Elijah Moore, no Elijah Moore, that in the way they approach it, paired with a quarterback as talented as Matt Corral, is successful regardless of who he's throwing to.
2: Yeah, and you can afford to do that, particularly when you're running the football well, which is what I'll, I think Ole Miss would do again, because I think, again, they'll have pretty good guard play. I, uh, I assume, you know, they're healthy at center. They had Orlando mono Orlando like, on the depth chart, which assume he was healthy because they didn't have Casey Kelly, and then you mentioned uh, Tavius Robinson was not on there either. Kiffin's injury policy is still mystifying to me, and particularly when I'm not around the program every day. You know, it's kind of, it's incredibly hard to figure it out. You're pretty much just playing a complete guessing game. And I know so everyone is to some degree, but I agree. And you talk about the scheme and kind of finding mismatches and all of that. I'm interested to see how they use Ely because the way that Henry Paris came on last year, and I know ball security was a tiny bit of a concern, but I think, you know, as a sophomore in a normal year and kind of have a full off season, that'll be rectified. I'm not even really concerned about that. And Kentrell Bullock as well, like the depth they have behind him, they can afford to kind of move Ely around and do some different things with him. They were going to do it regardless, but when you have a, a you know, they've got three SEC starting caliber running backs behind Ely. I mean, Stoop Connor is was a late take in the 2019 class, whatever it was, and is the fourth string running back after having a pretty productive career to this point. I'm interested to see how they use Ely and get him in space because you know that's coming. I, I'm sure you watched the Plumlee deal from last week where he was talking about. Uh, moving to receiver. And, you know, of course, he talks like the kid that my mom wishes I was. So I was mesmerized by the press conference in its own right. But he talked about how like you know, quarterback you try to be Aaron Rodgers Russell Wilson whatever who you ever think to model your game after receiver you can take bits and pieces from different people and one of the examples he cited was Jerry and Ely in the open field one of the things I'm interested to see this year is just the way different ways they use Jerry on Ely because I mean one of the one of the things you immediately jumped out when you saw the depth chart when they finally released one on Monday was that they listed four running backs and poor Snoop Connor was the fourth one on the list and you know with the way they used Henry Parrish last year he kind of he being Snoop Connor kind of became relegated just to short down back. And that's a hell of an option to have as your fourth back. And so that's why I think they can afford to move Ely around. So that'll be another fascinating wrinkle because as you mentioned earlier in the show, there's no one is Lane Kiffin is as good as anyone in the country is just trying to find leverage in matchups and just doing something to beat that opponent on that play.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you're not going to tell the people what
2: happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, so we're, this is, we, we time traveled. This is now early Friday morning after recording on Wednesday night. We had a uh a Wi-Fi snafu, and by that, I just mean it completely went out uh, on your end. But I have Wi-Fi issues all the time, so this is just a regular occurrence for the audience.
1: Yeah, they're doing a bunch of utility work, and I think someone along the way, like, cut a cable or something, because mine's just been randomly cutting off for, like, hours at a time, randomly, and, like, you'll, You'll go put it in like, hey, I have an outage. And it'll say, no, you don't. It's like, well, it's not working. So Yeah, it
2: seems to be seems to be off. So yeah, call it what anyway. you want, but it's off.
1: So I don't know where I was in the middle of that rant. But yeah, no, it, the uh, what is going to be awesome to see with this offense too is a guy like Snoop Conner, who I think legitimately can be an NFL back. I mean, Scotty Phillips just made the Texans. And with all due respect to Scotty Phillips, I do think that uh, Snoop Connor is a better version of Scotty Phillips. So if he can make an NFL roster as good as he is, then Snoop can as well. I feel like he's going to be the kind of guy where if they're in a semi-close game, like we got to see Tennessee last night, they're awful. But if Ole Miss is beating Tennessee by say 14 points or something like that late in the third quarter, you just hand it off to a guy like that who, who's just fresh because you have Ely and Parrish that have gotten the majority of the carries and you just ride that horse uh, for the rest of the game. I mean, that might be your closer because they didn't really, they didn't close games particularly well last year. They didn't do ball control very well. The Auburn game in particular, they had a lead late. They tried to go conservative. It did not work and they lost the game, you know, officiating snafu aside. Maybe that's kind of going to be his role is like you said, short down back, but also controlling a game because if you're not using him very much early and you've got a fresh Snoop Connor in the fourth quarter against a tired defense when you're trying to really just run the clock out, what better option could you have than a guy like him? And you can just bludgeon him, really, with Kentrell
2: Bullock and Henry Parrish as well. I mean, even... Like if, you know, you've kind of ridden Ely in different ways early on in a game, and like you mentioned, you get in that situation where you're up 14 points or something like that. I mean, you can just kind of keep running dudes at them, and you're right, they weren't good in closing games out last year in cock management and kind of ball control. And I think a lot of of that stemmed from the fact that they were in this mode, particularly it was evident after the first couple games, particularly the first two, that that defense wasn't going to stop anyone. So, like, having to go, you know – I I'm I'm speaking out of a place I've never like been in before. Obviously I've never like coached football, but I imagine having to go from hyper aggressive to, Oh, how do we just get first downs and milk? The clock is an incredibly difficult place to be. And there's probably some balance in there, but I do think because of the depth, they have at running back. Like you mentioned, and those should have pretty good guard play that uh, they will definitely be better at that this year. And hopefully the defense is better and kind of afford them more opportunities to do so.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt at all. So, uh, I mean, I've, I'm one of those people that is convinced that they might even be better even offensively this it's It's a weird thing to think considering how good Elijah Moore was, but I'm with you. I mean, when you look at their offensive line, albeit probably thin, uh, they lost Royce Newman, who's probably going to be a first-day starter in Green Bay, by the way. Uh, But they replaced him with a guy with 26 starts. So they have an experienced offensive line, the deepest running back room maybe the school's ever had, maybe. Uh, a quarterback that has Heisman odds for a reason, first-team All-SEC for a reason. And Lane Kiffin, again, on Reb Talk last night, said that he thinks that Braylon Sanders is a first-round pick if he can stay healthy all season long. And, and like we said two days ago, although you guys are hearing this all at once, Lane Kiffin doesn't just say stuff like that. He doesn't manufacture hype for his players. He is as brutally honest as a coach could possibly be and he keeps things under wrap. So if he said that twice now publicly, means he believes it. They could be better. And I would not be surprised at all if they're better offensively this year.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And I think there's just a like a healthy Braylon Sanders. I think there's, a you know, from what you've seen in the offseason, I think there's a level of speed there that we haven't, like none of us have seen in quite a while, just because he hasn't been to consistently stay on the field. So I'm kind of interested in, in exactly how he's, like kind of how he starts the season, that's going to be a fascinating point because that's going to be a huge part of Old Miss' passing game, particularly early, is if Old Miss can kind of – excuse me, Corral can kind of find that connection with Sanders. The last thing I have before we move on to some SEC stuff, I, when we first started previewing this game like a week ago, I was just kind of – I was talking with Weldon, and I just kind of blurted out like not a whole lot of Mississippi – like recruiting overlap with Louisville. And while that's probably the case in terms of footprint, I keep stumbling on weird connections the more I look into this team. Uh, I was writing something for the newsletter yesterday. The kid that they're trying to become like the number one option receiver, Braden Smith, Northwest, uh, uh, Northwest Rankin High School kid that started his career in 2017 at State. Um, hmm. well, I did not know. And then the other part of this, this is not a Mississippi connection, but some of you degenerate gamblers out there are going to know this game, know this name. Shy works. Do you remember this name? 4-year starter quarterback at Georgia Southern, ran for 3000 yards, passed for 3000 yards, just decided to transfer and play receiver at Louisville this year. Like and dynamic athlete, one of the more dynamic dudes and kind of the Sun Belt or whatever He is now a receiver at Louisville. I did not know that was the case until like 24 hours ago.
1: And uh correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pulling up their depth chart right now. Isn't uh their middle linebacker uh Gennard Avery's brother?
2: Yeah, C.J. Avery, Grenada kid, he's still on that team and probably going to be one of their better players on that defense. He's a good player. So there's you know, Brian Brown, as you mentioned. I, I didn't even notice that when I was talking to the Louisville guys. But Ole Miss, alum, some some odd Mississippi connections, we'll call it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, what's got to give you comfort is maybe, I don't know if this is comforting or not, but it kind of sounds like their Mississippi ties are all guys that probably wouldn't have seen the feel of that Ole Miss.
2: With the exception of Avery, because I mean, Taylor Polk. Oh yeah, they were so bad at and... linebacker. Then yeah. yeah, that'd probably be the lone, lone exception there. Well, Um, kind of bouncing around because I wanted to get some SEC and some State stuff with you before we got out of here. Is State's an interesting team to me this year? You could make an argument State and LSU are two of the more fascinating teams in the SEC this year because it's like, what are you going to be? Because there's expectations that you're going to be a hell of a lot better than you were last year. State seems to have reshaped that offensive line a little bit. Talked to out earlier in the week. Is there a team with a more important September than Mississippi State? I don't think – I'm not buying in the whole Louisiana tackle will give them any issues at all because if you look at anything, you know, you read on La Tech, they lose a lot. They weren't very good last year. But, man, you got an NC State team as we've time-traveled into Friday morning, we've now gotten to see, clicked on all cylinders against USF last night. They come into Starkville and, like, if State wins that game, you probably really feel pretty good about their chances. But you think about that. If NC State comes in and wins that game, you have a road trip at Memphis followed by Texas A&M, LSU, and Alabama, I don't remember the order, as your first three SEC games.
1: That could get weird in a hurry. It could get weird and it could get ugly in a hurry. Yes, and it could. State fans better hope Haydad is right with the reshaped offensive line because like all offseason it's Will Rogers, can he improve? Uh, will Jaden Wally be a, a more important focal point of the offense? Can you get him 15 plus touches a game? Because I think it, you know it's just one year, it was a freshman year, but Jaden Wally might be Mississippi state's first, like real NFL wide receiver, you know, I mean, ever, I mean, it's been a long time. If at least since I've been here, uh, they haven't had a guy like him play wide receiver for them. Uh, I I think he can be that guy, but it's a wasted conversation. Will they run the football more? Will they, will, will Rogers take the next step and uh, will the receiver group be better? All those things are are just a, a waste of time if they don't get better up front, because if fly, five still cannot block three, then they're going to be a disaster again. That that's a terrible, terrible offensive line. And I keep seeing people say here, yeah, when they played Missouri, who in Missouri was so decimated by COVID, their backup quarterback had to play safety because that was their only option. And then they go to Ole Miss, who had the second worst defense in SEC football history in terms of total yards and conference play, just in front of 2016 Tennessee. And then they played Tulsa in a bowl game, and Tulsa's best player opted out of that game, and he was a linebacker that got drafted in the first round. So did they really get better, or did the competition change from Alabama to in Texas A&M and even Arkansas and Auburn to Ole Miss, who was terrible defensively, Missouri, who was decimated by COVID, and Tulsa? I mean... Five couldn't block three last year. And if five still can't block three, Will Rogers and his improvement doesn't matter. Jaden Wally doesn't matter. Scheme won't matter because there is nothing Mike Leach could have called that would have worked because they were pathetic up front. And if that doesn't change, they're going to be a disaster again. Defensively, they should still be good. Uh, Good corners, pretty good safeties. Aaron Brule, I think is an all league caliber linebacker, Uh, but... I'm just, I hesitate to even talk about other things because of how bad they were up front. And if that's not any better, nothing else is going to matter for that team.
2: Yeah. and no, I come at it from the devil's advocate side, because I agree with everything you're saying. And that's what makes it such a fascinating like dynamic because it is undoubtedly true because state was shorthanded in their own right. Those last couple, I know the whole like 47, 32 people, whatever it was they claimed they took to Athens, got a little bit overblown, but they were shorthanded and they, they put up a really good fight and a really good effort. And, you know, I think Hayden described it as, you know, any character, locker room, whatever you want to call it, issues had kind of went out the window that night. I think that's kind of when they maybe started buying in was that loss in Georgia. So there's something to be yeah, said. for and that. And then
1: they got in a brawl in the bowl. OK,
2: that, that's also character might be the wrong way to go about it. Any like friction with the head coach, you know, they had to kind of weed yeah. out some dudes to not agree like that. You know, Leach always does that. He's kind of abrasive in that sense. Anything like on that front. Um, I think kind of went out the door last night, you know, brawling with the, with the middle, middle Oklahoma school is a whole different, different, I guess, category of uh, category of character, but whatever point being, they did get better when real Rogers was inserted at quarterback and they kind of found their footing. There's no doubt the offense functioned better, even with they the did. offensive line issues. You can see it as plain as day. So yeah. I just wonder, you know, Leach has this reputation of his teams take a jump year one to year two, and I've never followed it close enough to know if it makes sense on paper going in, or it's just one of those things that happens. And
1: so it's they fascinating. Do have some weapons, I mean, they I, do. I, you know, I think, I think Wally's think really there's some depth at receiver. They got a Washington State transfer that that they seem to like. Uh, I mean, who knows? Malik Heath should not be playing in the season opener, but I ex- kind of expect him to play in the season opener. Uh, Tolsta suspended a. a handful of guys for their game last night that they lost by the way. Uh, but th- there's some talent there. There's some reason for optimism. Uh, again, the linebackers I think are good with Aaron Brulee. The secondary should be good questions about defensive line, especially now they've had a season ending injury up there as well for a guy that was at least going to be a heavy rotational piece. Uh, they are fascinating. And like you mentioned the early season schedule, I mean with NC state looking really good last night and, and then, you know we'll see with memphis but i got a co-host by the way he wants me to read to him oh nice the kids reading these
2: days that looks like a thicker book that i've read in quite a few, quite a while yeah it's um, funny
1: i've had to I had to rehone my skills uh no, no yeah
2: we- i'm i'm into the we're on the same page there you're me and your son have the same uh same reading taste i like the ones with you, pictures as well you like the, the little uh, blue truck yeah that's always a classic one um i saw that uh <laughs> The, uh, the Giving Tree was in the news the other day. They're pretty much we discovered that the Giving Tree kid was just kind of a shithead and used the tree. I don't know if you uh, saw that. Uh, of we haven't think,
1: read Giving Tree yet, and I don't remember it. So, Well, don't tell
2: PFT commenter that you read your Giving Tree to your kid because uh, he, he's not a fan <laughs> of that guy. But the, so the other side of the state thing is like, If if they do beat uh, NC State, you would think they'd go on the road to beat Memphis. Although I can't think of a worse non-conference game than a week three game against Memphis after you've just played a pretty good non-conference opponent. Like God, that's rough on the scheduling. But you figured they'd win that, and all of a sudden you're three and zero with the free not free shot, a pretty good shot at home to beat an LSU club. You don't really know like what they're going to be, so I think you'll know what State is pretty early on in the year because if they aren't good early on and don't show improvement early on the schedule is not going to allow for them to kind of make up ground late in the season for the lack of a better phrase.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so, I mean, next weekend, uh, there's a lot of marquee games. I think Ohio state plays at, uh, at Minnesota, right. Uh, or excuse me, not at Minnesota. They play, uh, they play Oregon. There's a yeah. handful of others. So that game might fly under the radar, but that might be the most interesting game from an SEC perspective next weekend. Uh, with oh, them. without a doubt. Because, Cause if they lose, I mean, and the next layer to the, the Mike Leach-Mississippi State thing is, um, regardless of how this season goes, you can't fire him. You can't, you can't do it, regardless of how it goes. But let's just pretend for a second that they are that they don't meet expectations. Fans want to go to a bowl game. Some people I've heard from say it's an eight-win team. We'll see. But if they don't meet that, if they go 5-7 and seven with a loss to Ole Miss, there's going to be – I think it's more than just – you know, being afraid of the program not winning anymore. But I think at that point, you might slip into irrelevancy. And that would be a bigger fear to me because you, you're stuck with it for a while. You can't have a coach for two years, fire him, have another coach for two or three years and fire him, and then hire the next guy. I mean, good luck with that. You, at some point, you've got to have some kind of sustainability with your coach, and I don't know if that'll be it. The,
2: yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And the, the interesting part about it is if, if they do slip and like you lose to, you lose to Ole Miss, like both fan bases are guilty of this, but like whether you want to admit it or not, that's particularly important to, to that state fan base. And like if Ole Miss is able to go in there and win again, and I don't know if that's going to happen. You've talked to me in November in terms of what I think about that game but like we
1: had somebody ask us on the text on what do you think about the egg bowls like man ask me 11 games from now yeah let's get through
2: september first like my god but like he's my point being is like i I could just picture it now in that post game press conference someone's going to ask him about getting beat by all miss two years in a row and i like reach honesty i find it refreshing i think he'd be an interesting guy to cover but he's not going to be the guy that's going to give you the pr answer that people want to hear about we have to get better we have to beat them we can't let them kind of uh, you know, it, losing goal Ole Miss is unacceptable. He's not going to say that. He's going to say something about how, you know, they just need to improve as a team or they played like shit. And like, it's just like any other game. And that's not going to go over well. So like the Egg ball is vital for him this year. And like, I mean, you could argue the first month in the last game could pretty much make his season because they could kind of be shit in the middle and still be okay.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. And, and weird times here because, and, and again, just pretending, let's say for a second, it doesn't work again. Um there's no way you're letting the current athletic director make the next hire, right? You don't There's get no three way. football coaches. There's no, no I, way. And I, we've, we've talked about that some, and some people have said, yeah, but they just won a baseball national championship. And I'm like, guys, I know you love baseball. I know you do. And you've got a big stadium and, and, and all that stuff, and you just won a national championship. Chris Limonis' success should not at all change what you're doing in football. Like that, that shouldn't forget, not change what you're doing in football. Forgive what you're doing in football. Football is the only thing that matters. And yes, you just won a national championship. I'm aware of that. But football is the only thing that matters. And if that's not going right, you can't continue to let that not go right for the sake of, well, the guy hired a good baseball coach. Can't do that.
2: Because particularly if you want to look at it big picture, look at it who he hired before like look at the baseball coach before he got it right yeah but the, the yeah. overall track record of hiring is not great and i i don't I, john cohen seems like a nice man i don't pretend to know him and i'm not making some large indictment on what he is as an ad because I, I don't follow the state's program as closely but i do know you very rarely get to hire three football coaches maybe they let him i have no idea but it that's an interesting situation i don't feel like it's been talked about enough The last thing before we get out of here is like the sec this year is interesting to me because are we sure particularly in the west anyone's good besides Alabama and A&M and what if A&M you know they replace four starters on the offensive line what if the quarterback sucks and they can't block I would put the likelihood at both of those things happening at very low because that is a team ready to launch like you look at what they have defensively look what they can do in the run game and they bring all their receivers back if they can block and the quarterback is halfway decent they will be good and I actually I'm not going to do the thing where I pick them over Alabama in that week five week four game whatever it is but I think they have a real shot at competing I think we were robbed last year of getting a late season Alabama A&M matchup it sucks that that was the first game in that kind of weird revamped SEC only season but like outside of that are we sure anyone's good like what's the case that Ole Miss or I, I wouldn't say Auburn but like what what's the case that someone you don't expect finishes third in the West like an Auburn or something like one of these first year head coaches, Orlane Kiffin is going to look up and finish third in the West. Cause I'm just not sure LSU is good.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure they're good either. And that's man. I'm not doing the Dan Wolkin, Alabama's dynasty is over thing. I'm not doing that, but, but if there's a chance that they are a a step back from what they typically are, where it's a 10 and two football team or something like that, would you be surprised? Because Unproven on the offensive line, unproven quarterback, Bill O'Brien returning to his offensive coordinator roots. I mean, there's a chance that it's not national championship right away. Yes, Nick Saban has perfected the art of losing staff members, losing players to the first round, losing offensive coordinators specifically, and it not mattering at all. And a down season for Alabama at this point is what, 10 and 2, and they go to the sugar bowl and beat Texas or whoever. I mean, like that's their that's their floor, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if 2021 Alabama is a step backwards for them. And so you mentioned Texas A&M, a team that I'm really high on. But what happens if Haynes King does not just acclimate immediately to the SEC? We saw that last night. C.J. Stroud is not ready to play high-level college football yet. He's got a lot of improving to do. I'm sure he's an elite player, and he won the job for a reason. He wasn't ready right away, and we saw that last night and he got bailed out by some long screen passes. His numbers look better than they were. He's not ready yet. What happens if Haynes King is not ready yet?
2: The only other, the only thing, like, the, the luxury that they do have is that Zach Calzada kid seems pretty good himself. That seemed like a pretty close battle. So at least you have a second option to try to burn to whereas a lot of schools, you know, if it didn't work out. Like, you know, if Ole Miss kind of had A&M's defense and Matt Corral didn't work out, No offense. They'd be screwed. Like there, there is no exactly (laughs) like A&M kind of had another kid that was 100% seemed to be game ready, just slightly lost out on the job. So at least they got that going for them. But I agree. They're fascinating. They could, you know, what are they by November if the quarterback thing in the, and they don't stay healthy on the offensive line. So I'm kind of fascinated to look at that. And you mentioned the LSU piece of it. As I I was talking to Brody Miller a couple weeks ago. LSU could technically go 10-2 and two and not be that good. Like, they get Florida at home. They get A&M at home. Of course, they'll lose to Alabama. But their road games are at state, at Kentucky, and at Alabama and at Ole Miss. Like, that's not exactly a murderer's road when you're talking about Alabama as a loss. Like, if you look at the way their schedule sets up, they've got a tricky game this weekend. And I know they're dealing with a lot from Ida and everything that, that's come with that. But that line's gone down to UCLA plus two and a half. And those dudes aren't in the business of losing. Like, that's going to be a fascinating one. I just don't know what to make of the West. And it leaves a real opportunity for a school like Ole Miss if they can get the defense just to be top 60, top 70, somewhere in that range. Like, you could finish third in the West and not even have to be that quote-unquote good.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and the LSU thing, I, I'm with you. I, I'm as fascinated with that job as I could possibly be possibly be I've kind of joked on the radio with people I said you know if you're an Ole Miss fan or if you're a state fan you want LSU to go eight and four this year why because they will continue to slip backwards and Ed Orgeron will still be their coach because they're not firing him after an eight and four year two years removed from a national championship and now displaced from a hurricane now, you know, that's not going to happen uh, what you don't want to happen is them fall to six and six or whatever then they hire Billy Napier who's far more competent than Ed or- than Ed Orgeron and then he takes that program to the moon. Uh, I halfway joke about that, but I mean, I can't help but wonder, because we saw it last year. Like I said, Nick Saban has perfected the art of losing staff members and not missing a beat. Well, Ed Ordron's first audition was a complete failure. And on top of that, what or the way he handled last summer and all that stuff, lost the locker room. So there's a lot brewing for that. There's a lot
2: brewing off the field and within the locker room. It's Brody Miller seems to think a lot of that's quelled, and he knows that program better than I do. But you're right. Like, if it does go south early, there's a lot of stuff that could pile on and turn that toxic way quicker than just losing a couple games on the surface, if that makes sense.
1: That's right. Like, if, you know, if you've got a buddy, who gets, gets a little violent when he drinks too much? Uh, it gets, you know, he drinks too much and he gets kind of violent, right? Like he punches holes in your walls or whatever. And you forgive him and he patches the wall and it's all good. And then three weeks later, he gets that drunk again. And you forgave him, but then things go south and then it's worse. So maybe the, I don't know if this is a good comparison or not. I just kind of came up with it off the top He's of my head. He's losing the but, benefit of the doubt. It, I, I, so I get if exactly they start you're going. losing games early, then it's all right. Well, screw this guy. Remember last year? I don't want to play for him anymore. Like, like it's it's much easier to re lose your locker room if you already have once before. And I keep telling people stuff like this about Kiffin because they were going through it last year. And uh, of course, a Mississippi radio o- audience did not like the walking out of practice to protest thing. But I kept telling them this: what Lane Kiffin is doing will preserve the locker room. Trust me. You may not like it. They're going to make up the practice. But trust me, that locker room respects their coach because of how he handled this. And Ordron called a team meeting and six players showed up because they hated the way he handled it. And look at what happened with Ole Miss. And then a year later, this offseason with the vaccine stuff was another public relations win, and the locker room is as together as it possibly could be. Exact opposite in Baton Rouge. So let's say they lose to UCLA and then Florida at home a couple weeks later. You think that team is going to keep playing for the Gipper at that point? I'm not convinced they would. I'm not either. That is kind of his one calling card of like
2: rallying the troops. But there's only so much time you can, I mean, there's only so much you can do to do that. And that tends to wear off and it tends to be short lived and superficial a lot of the time. So I'm fascinated by it, but you're right about the Kiffin part of it. Like the PR part, if you froze someone in the year 2008 or whatever it was after he left Tennessee or how just you frozen the day he got fired on the tarmac at USC or LAX and, you unfroze them and like Lane Kiffin's winning PR battles. I'd be they'd probably be like, "What world am I living in?" It's kind of crazy how shit changes that fast. And credit to Kiffin for just completely doing a 180. It's gonna be a fascinating year. I'm really excited that we don't have to deal with the, the crap that we did last year. Hope everybody stays healthy and safe. Looking forward to full stadiums. It's nice hearing some crowd noise last night with Boise State UCF. We're back. Um, before we get Minnesota party- was
1: packed too, man
2: it was it was great it was great having to see the quarterback actually yell at the offensive line because he couldn't hear anything that was a nice nice thing that i missed from last year but uh dude i appreciate the time always enjoy chatting what uh plug away before we get out of here youtube show Sword talk mississippi uh have at it
1: yeah on the radio some of you guys know and uh, you know (laughs) uh, a friend sent me a couple screenshots of the last time that i was on this podcast with you and uh some unfriendly things i understand you know i'm not everybody's cup of tea they
2: pick on me don't worry don't take it personally it's a it's a do they really have yeah it's a lovably rabid group over there well i'm not a i i guess there were like not enough people know that like i when i took the radio job i would just hand it a microphone there was no training i'd never had any experience i was writing background so i don't think i'm everyone's cup of tea in the sense that i don't really try to be polished like i'm you're basically recording a phone conversation i would have with anyone when i tap on a mic some people like that. Some people don't. So that's probably part of it. But they're a lovably rabid group over there.
1: Yeah, and I, I appreciate them all, the negative, uh, the negative comments and stuff, because, you know, I don't get better unless I get feedback, good and bad. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's, some of you know I, I am stuck with Richard Cross on the radio in the afternoons uh, from 3 to 6. And then also I do a YouTube live stream in the mornings. Uh, you know, just search my name and, and you can find it. And uh, it's just me. It's just me. Sometimes my son will crash and you can see him. Uh, There was a a show I was doing where I had him in here and he pulled the curtains down on top of himself. Oh, buddy. That was a meltdown live on video. So if you want that kind of electricity, you can get it uh, on my YouTube channel. So.
2: Kids a hellraiser. I appreciate it, dude. We'll uh, catch up again, probably a few weeks into the season. um, Once we actually know anything about any of these teams, instead of just pure speculation, I'm looking forward to it. Um,
1: uh, Anytime.
2: And that was Michael Borky. Appreciate his time. As you may have heard midway through the podcast, I probably should have given you a heads up on that. Borky, we recorded that the first part of that Wednesday night, and then Borky's internet went out and my schedule was all crazy. Had some high school games and stuff. So we couldn't get back talking until Friday morning. So right around that Jerry and Ely discussion about 40 minutes in, we picked up two days into the future. So uh, uh, definitely doing what we can to make it work. But I uh, really, really appreciate Borky's time. Enjoy talking some football with him as uh, I'm fired up for football season. You know, after last year, uh, I, I won't, certainly won't take anything for granted for quite a while um, just after the kind of the shit we suffered through last year. It was awesome to see full crowds Thursday night at the games going to another high school game tonight for the Dallas Morning News, just really kind of soaking it all in in terms of normalcy on the football field. So I hope you're fired up as well. It's going to be an awesome long weekend, but before we get to that, I wanted to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. We're just the family of Skyboxes over here at the Rippy Rights Podcast. One more Skybox sponsored. I might just change the name to Skybox Rights, but who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of their industry. Football season coming down the pipe. Uh, skybox It's been a big week for the Rippy rights promo code. I know you guys are using it. You need to go check them out. College football season long picks package are up. If you sign up for that right now, you get the futures package for free. So be sure to hop on that before the season gets going. Look, When you're getting into your degenerate nature on the weekends, you don't want to have the man texting you on Sunday nights, Monday mornings. You already got the scariest, tough week of work ahead. You want to be texting him asking where all that money is you want. Where is that? Can you even up? Turn the tables on. him. Skybox are professionals. They will help you do that with more consistency than anyone else in the industry. You don't want to fly into this blind casinos, books, not built on losses. You need to let the professionals help you out. It is well worth the money. You can do season-long passes month-long, week-long. Try for a day, daily pass if you want to. I'd recommend going season-long all sports. But they're going to have a package to fit your preferred sport and your preferred price range. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY for 20% off any purchase. And uh, without further ado, let's get to LB's Greg and our picks that are going to be very wrong. All right, we now welcome on Greg the Meat Sharp Jones in the – introducing the segment again that earned you the greg the meat sharp nickname it is time for fresh cuts presented by we'll just go both lbs and skybox sports picks because i'm going to add them into the mix with this at some point this year still working out the details with the guys at skybox uh greg we might be up against dudes that are uh, that are actually do this for professionally what are your thoughts on that i just dropped that on you i didn't prep you for that
3: yeah, no, I, 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 feel comfortable with that because, uh, it, it always good. It's always good to uh, compare yourself to professionals. So, uh, uh, we'll roll with it. I, I like it.
2: I think we can take them. We don't need their fancy algorithms or math.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, uh, we just like to pull the trigger on our thoughts and, uh, and our thoughts are usually wrong. So it works out.
2: I know we have a no, a lot of, <laughs> I know we have a lot of new listeners to this podcast, um, since like, I guess the previous versions we've done of it. So I guess for those of you who don't know the backstory, this is our third, fourth year, somewhere in there making picks. We'll do some SEC, uh, kind of some other college games, and then we kind of roll through the NFL. We roll through all the games. We'll probably, probably try to find a way to make that a little bit quicker this year because you remember last year our motto was like, we're going to pick them all but not play them all. And that got, that got out of control after a while. We had to make multiple rules about teams that I was not allowed to touch and keep hammering, the Falcons, both New York teams. I think at one point the entire state of California. Uh, it just set into delirium. I believe you locked the Jets one time with one of your five locks. We might have to clean up the uh, the 16 games a week in the NFL uh, as far as uh, rolling through.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're kind of go with the flow kind of guys, and uh, it is what it is. So, yeah, we like to adjust uh, the program uh, during the week at, uh, as the weeks go by. I think we might start like that. We'll have
2: our five locks. We'll hit a couple other games and then maybe like rank five games that you should immediately go like seek help. If you are wagering that week in the NFL, that's probably the best way to, uh, to, to trim the flat on that one. But the people that don't know, for people that don't know the original story was, I guess it was 2019 when I first started a podcast or somewhere around there. And we had just first gotten like introduced to each other or whatever, And you were sponsoring the show when it was at Super Talk, and I had you on to make picks one week and we did it for a couple weeks in a row and like the first week, like someone texted me was like dude Greg's picks were pretty good and I was like oh sweet he had a good week. And like this persisted for like three to four weeks and finally I started adding them up and you had that run there for like two months where you're like 68% or just something absurd. So I just blurted out a random nickname and I guess it stuck since.
3: Yeah. I mean, meat, sharp meat, uh, sharp meat, uh, fresh meat. It's 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 all meat and it's all fresh and uh, we're here to make some money. Yeah. So we didn't have, I don't think the same luck
2: last year. Um, our season was split up into two parts. Part one, was the first half of the season. Part two was after I lost the notebook with all of our picks after going on that casino golf trip. So we'll probably try to keep the fix.
3: That, uh, we should we should get that sponsor deal worked out uh, uh, with the casino uh, for, for that. We should. It's been almost 365
2: days, probably let things cool down there after the crew of about 14 of us rolled in there. I, I didn't really know what their impression of us was leaving, so I was going to let that simmer uh, for a bit before we uh, – before we uh, before we test the waters on that, but uh, I don't know if we're going back this year. But if we do, I'm definitely uh, definitely might have to get hit that up. But I'd recommend it. Go to the play the golf course at the Preserve, Great Course, uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast. A lot of fun. Oh,
3: um, uh, shoes aren't and uh, shoes aren't required.
2: That is true. We were playing the Preserve, and uh, two buddies of mine just decided they were going shoeless like first hole on. And the starter, your typical like old man starter, I was like, great, he's not going to be having any of this shit. And the guy could not have cared less. Thought it was hilarious, and we just had a great time.
3: That's uh, he probably gets that a lot because there's probably a lot of bachelor tr- uh, trips and everything that go through that town. Yeah,
2: more morons like us. So let's uh, let's see. This week's an interesting one, just because it's college football week one. Uh, I'm looking forward to kicking it off. I'll tell you what, man. So I worked another high school game last night for morning news. I had Irving MacArthur and some other school. Neither school was good. It doesn't matter, but. I got back home in time to watch the second half of like the delayed UCF Boise state game. And I gotta say just seeing a crowd with tons of fans in it and hearing crowd noise and like seeing that actually affect Boise state was just kind of music to my ears. It really was. I don't even really get wax poetic about stuff like this, but I was like, this is awesome. I have no dog in this fight. I don't care about this game, but just like here, having the quarterback, like having to see him run up to the line of scrimmage to yell something at his lineman because it's loud, that was just great to see in general. It really was not the same last
3: year with no fans. Yeah, I I have to agree with you. I I feel bad for uh, Minnesota because uh, I was following along with my phone and I finally turned the game on and it was 21-17 to and Ohio State scored on the next play and then uh, on the next defensive play. like So they literally scored – 14 points in a span of three plays whenever I turn the game on so I feel bad for jinx in uh, Minnesota but uh, yeah it's all it was awesome they you know had pictures of the crowd and the, you know the fans going crazy and uh, you know it just uh, it's, it's a breath of fresh air and it seems like the world's healing
2: yeah absolutely it's uh it's just weird watching those sunday nfl games where it's like they're pumping in the crowd noise and then someone scores and they're doing all the fake effects and they just pan like i always picture the raider stadium and they just pan around and there's quite literally no one in the building that was just that sucks so here's to never having to do that again um hopefully (laughs) it's knock on wood let's see figure out how we're gonna do this this week i guess like Normally we got a pretty strict routine. We'll go SEC, a couple of the other marquee games, and hit the NFL. No NFL this week. Obviously conference play hasn't really ratcheted up at all yet. So we'll just kind of bounce around and go try to find like seven or eight, something like that, in that sweet spot in there, and go from there. Uh, Let's see. Here's a good one to start. This is a Friday night game, so here's our early game. Uh, Virginia Tech is a a five-and-a-half point home dog to North Carolina. A lot of hype around North Carolina this year, Sam Howell um you know could potentially be the number one quarterback taken off the board in the 2022 nfl draft return a lot on that offense uh phil boots Longo, um manning manning the keys of that offense what uh do you have any sort of lean here i don't know anything about virginia tech hand up
3: yeah i mean for some strange reason like early in the year um it seems like underdogs are are a good route to go Uh, i'm just going to go with the underdog home underdog uh not not knowing anything about Virginia Tech, but I know that North Carolina quarterback's pretty solid. But uh, let's go with the home dogs, start out the year. I actually like that
2: strategy. I'm not sure – I know there's a decent bit of math to back that up in the NFL. At, I know early in the year, but how do – the the underdogs in the NFL have like hit at like 60-something percent over the last two years, if I'm not mistaken. I uh, do have I have that same theory in college. I don't know why. It just seems like hard, large spreads are harder to cover. I know this isn't a large spread, but I do think underdogs fare better early in the season. There's, as like most things we do on this segment, a large chance that is just completely not true and not backed by data. But I'm just going to say it anyway, because if you say it with your chest, it has to be true.
3: Let's yeah, well, see. I mean, I-, I can just say it uh... – uh, for some strange reason, North Carolina up 21 to nothing after the first quarter after those uh, wise words that uh, I just spoke.
2: Yeah, and so the, I know Virginia Tech lost that Hendon Hooker kid to Tennessee, and I don't even think he ended up winning the job. Not really even sure who's going to play quarterback there. I'm just going to go North Carolina because I know more names on that team. How about that?
3: Yeah, that's a good angle. I like that.
2: Yeah, so, <laughs> I'll go North Carolina five and a half. You're going the other way at Virginia Tech. Let's see, getting into the Saturday games. There are some really good games on Saturday. College football did not waste the opportunity to be the only show in town this weekend because I don't think NFL teams can practice. I think that's the rule with the 17-game season this year, that they're pretty much off this weekend heading into week one, like you can't do anything. And college football didn't disappoint. You know, a lot of years in the past, you've gotten kind of one marquee game on Saturday night, maybe one on Sunday that turns out to be average, and then something Monday and the rest just kind of stinks. You've got like nine or ten just kind of awesome games this weekend. I'm looking forward to it.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's – you know, you put your product out there uh, right out the get, and, uh, you know, college football is one of the better products out there, so I I can't agree with it more. And uh, pull the trigger on some good matchups and get people interested into the game.
2: The Big Ten last week serenaded us uh, into week zero with the very fitting first score of the college football season, I believe, was an Illinois safety. So that was a nice way and on-brand way to kick off the Big Ten season. I think I may have just said Big 12. But we've got Wisconsin at home that's five-and-a-half-point favorites also against Penn State where are you going here because a lot of hype around Wisconsin return a lot they kind of had that weird well everyone had the weird year last year but they had a huge COVID issue at the beginning of the season Big Ten only played like five games six games or some chicken shit schedule like that after they tried to cancel the season um big year for James Franklin feel like he probably needs to kind of uh get back on the uh 9-10 win train um or that could get situations get a little dicey do you have a lean here
3: I like Wisconsin. I I just think they, uh, you know, they run the ball and they control the ball and uh, play some decent defense. And um, I'm not seeing much from uh, Franklin uh, at Penn State. So, like you were saying, he's going to have to pull the trigger on doing a Having a solid year. So, uh, I I like Wisconsin here uh, for some odd reason.
2: I think so, too. I think you're going to get that classic James Franklin confused look on the sideline when uh, Wisconsin just polished off their, like, second – 14 play 90 yard drive, 87 of which came on the ground. And she's just going to be looking around like it's like trying to find someone to blame. He's got a little bit of Hugh freeze in him in that sense. Um, So I'm actually going to go Wisconsin as well. Um, They returned quarterback. I can't can't remember that kid's name kind of had a weird year last year. One uh, of their better defenses. I was reading about that earlier this week. They think it could be one of the better, best defenses Wisconsin's had this year. I'm sure they have some horse at uh, running back. I like Wisconsin minus the five and a half here. I don't think Penn State is necessarily going to be that good. So I'm with you on that one. We'll go Wisconsin minus five and a half uh, across the board there. Bouncing around. If I can get this thing to load, I keep keeps freezing up. Uh, so that's the early game. That's kind of what kicks you off on Saturday. You've got an interesting one between Indiana and Iowa. Indiana coming off the Outback Bowl loss to Ole Miss in what was a pretty kind of storybook year in a mixed amidst of weird circumstances for Tom Allen in Indiana. You know, they lose quarterback Michael Penix Jr. late in the season. He didn't play in the bowl game. I think they're going to take a little bit of a step back this year and kind of be closer to a 7-6 win team. And I think Iowa's really good. And this one is Iowa minus four. And that almost seems too good to be true, but I'll take the bait anyway.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like the Hawkeyes. Um, I, you know, they, they always, uh, for some strange reason, I always bet on Iowa. I don't know why it might be the, uh, the, the, uh, the giant turkey leg effect, uh, that they have at the game, that they're famous for at the game. So, uh, I like Iowa here. I think, uh, like you were saying, um, Indiana had like a little Cinderella season and not to take anything away from Tom Allen and great coach. And, uh, you know, they, uh, it seems like they, you know, they always um, play with a lot of heart and, you know, it's just that's always good to see. But I just feel like uh, Iowa's got a little bit more talent on the ball and a little bit more cons- uh, conservative on offense to where they can, you know, keep the ball and keep possession. So um, I like Iowa here for sure.
2: I think they're going to come out of that Big Ten West division or whatever. they. I used to I cracked up at the hilarious name. What about the legends and the leaders? investigation (laughs) and then between penn state and michigan state scandals they're like we should probably take that off And now it's just (laughs) east and west who is who who is winning like this you know they stack that division on the, the east side where it's ohio state indiana michigan michigan state penn state maryland and rutgers like tell me who's coming out of this division uh that i was in it's illinois iowa northwestern purdue wisconsin minnesota nebraska i mean I I can't say I was overly impressed with what I saw from Minnesota last night, kind of loosely keeping up with that game. It seems like it's Wisconsin and Iowa, and I would probably say Iowa is a better version of Wisconsin this year, if that makes any sense at all. I think they could come out of that division.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, they need to, uh, uh, I guess, uh, expand that uh, division out to the Pac-10 and combine a true East and West uh, uh, division uh, with adding the Pac-10. But – uh I, yeah, I, I like I like Iowa and I like Wisconsin. It just seems like it'll be their their um uh, their their season to lose to win that uh to win that conference to play in the big uh ten twelve uh, big ten championship game every year. I'm throwing this one almost in as a troll job. Mississippi State
2: minus twenty three at home against Lod Tech. This is like the classic you look at like the schedule and it's like, oh, LaTeX, tech. That game could get weird. Like they scored points in the past, decent program. But if you read anything about them, they lose a lot from last year's team that wasn't very good in the first place. State, I imagine, is going to have some sort of. I saw last night, that being Thursday night, that Tulsa announced some suspension stemming from that brawl after their New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, whatever the hell it was, bowl game. They
3: lost, and they lost. They lost to Cal Davis
2: last night. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, that's not the same Tulsa team. They had a couple of NFL players on that defense. So I imagine that that was probably just a little bit of a fluke. So you see, Davis beat them
3: last night? Yeah. I think like ne- 19 to 17.
2: I'm sure that was an absolute barn burner. Uh, if you were paying attention to that game you are you're just on a whole you're just a different breed of citizen when it comes to this stuff and kicking off the uh, the degenerateness this year
3: yeah um, I would I would feel the same way about if you watch the Vanderbilt East Tennessee state, state uh, game uh, that's just a seek help thing.
2: Maybe you're just pumped about maybe you're just looking looking to see documentation of Vanderbilt winning a game because it's been a while since that happened. Vanderbilt, just catching stray bullets early on this Friday morning. Sorry about that. Uh, I like that, Coach. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I didn't even know UC Davis played football. But, anyway, State's minus 23. Who's State's quarterback? Who's who's
3: State's quarterback?
2: Will Rogers. So, uh, Oxford product, actually. Jack Abraham transferred in from Southern Miss. And some people thought he might push him for that job. Uh, but Jack Abramson suffered a concussion at some point. I don't know if that was spring or early in camp or what the hell happened there, um, but he, 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 he didn't get to practice much in camp and never really pushed him, so it'll be Will, uh, Will Rogers again.
3: Uh, I mean, I, I think that might be too many points, uh, so I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I like La Tech here, regardless of how many people they lost.
2: There's, so there's always, again, here's one of these theories that I can't exactly back by uh, a data or numbers at all, but I know there's a huge jump from Mike Leach teams from year one to year two. And as they kind of reshape that offensive line to fit that very unique way that he asked them to block, I do think they're going to be better this year, but how many times, particularly at Washington state and even times at tech, if I remember early in the season, even if a Mike Leach team turned out to be good, like how many times did you see them in a nine, seven game with Southern Oregon Labor Day weekend or something like that? And you're like, who like how is this game going down and then they end up winning the game you know kind of by the skin of their teeth and then ended up having I'm sure a decent season because Leach is a pretty consistent coach throughout his track record but maybe that's a theory that no one else has noticed but I just feel like i looked up early in the season at Mike Leach's teams have been like they're down what to who
3: yeah it uh it seems like it uh takes them a little bit to get going but yeah I mean I could easily see this being a uh you Know 21 to 10 or 14 to 14 to 10 at halftime, and uh, you know, state eventually pulls away in the fourth quarter. But uh, I just think that 26 20, uh, 28 some odd points is a little too much for them to cover.
2: Yeah, I'm with you there. I think I'll go live tech as well. I don't really have a lean for that game. Again, I was halfway throwing that into troll. Um, here might be the most intriguing game of the weekend, not named Georgia Clemson. Obviously, Louisiana Lafayette is traveling to austin to take on texas this is a ranked ull club that had a win over iowa state last year which was iowa state's best team in school history these dudes were good returned pretty much everyone off of that team and texas is a nine point favorite and are we positive texas is good what am i missing here because ull i know is good
3: yeah i mean you know um with sharkeesian's first year and first game i'm pretty sure expectations are already through the roof and uh you know uh what 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 worst way to uh, you know start your career at Texas is you know barely beating a uh you know a, a I wouldn't say a lower tier league team like lots uh Louisiana Lafayette but you know the uh the uh, the division 1 football um uh, uh, is tough and there's a lot of athletes you know throughout the country that are getting in um getting in playing time at other schools so I don't I mean I've I don't see Texas just blowing the uh, blowing them out of the water. And uh, you were saying, you know, La tech uh, got a – I mean, not La the uh, UL Lafayette's got a good club and returning a bunch of players. I I, I can't see why not we can't uh, take uh, Lafayette here.
2: I just – are we positive that they're not better than Texas? Because you mentioned, like, you talk about – you kind of, like, stumbled when you said lower-tier program. Because I think that inca- – I was about to go there as well where that encapsulates perfectly – Like, what I was thinking was, is there a fan base less rationally equipped to deal with losing to a directional Louisiana school, but then also have to juxtapose the fact that they're actually ranked and good? Like, can you imagine? I mean, Ole Miss fans wouldn't handle it well either. Could you imagine if ULL came into Oxford, Ole Miss was supposed to have, you know, decent team lanes first year and just say, ULL wins the game outright. It's like, shit, you just lost to ULL, but it's like, actually, they're ranked. Like, like, that would be a weird place to be.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I mean, I'm not saying that um, Lafayette could be, you know, something like a Boise State, you know, uh, a 9-10 to 10 win team and, you know, semi have uh, a shot at the BCS, but they're a good club and it's just uh, – it is what it is. But, yeah, I just – you know, I think that the Lafayette's a little bit put more put together and, uh, you know, Texas is just uh, coming into a new coach. So uh, it's, it might take a little bit to adjust, but – I don't see any guarantees uh, with, uh, with Texas in this game. So I I think I'm going to take the points.
2: We won't start our locks until next week when the NFL gets kicked back up. And for those of you new to the program, uh, I hand each of us five bullets and we get to shoot them five times. We lock five games and those count a little bit more than our actual record. Not that any of this matters. Maybe I'm a sucker here, but ULL plus two seventy outright thoughts.
3: Oh man. That's, I mean that's a small play. I mean it's uh, it, it's not one of those uh, that you can pull the trigger and be like, "Hey, I really like this, and I think that this is a uh, is a is a for sure lock." But um, when whenever you see a money line that is that low, I mean, I would think the money line would probably be need to be in like plus four hundred range. But with it being plus plus you know plus two hundred range and Oh, and the nine points. I mean, it makes Lafayette look a lot better for sure. But um, I, I like Lafayette a lot here.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm maybe I'm a sucker. Maybe I am a sucker. I suck at this. Like, there's no getting around that. So take my money on that one. I'll. Uh, that might be a little dangerous. Uh, Mid afternoon play there. The uh, let's see. Let's just go ahead and get to Georgia Clemson. So it's Clemson minus three, Georgia plus one thirty five to win the game outright. Again, these huge matchups are in the air. One, this is going to be awesome to watch. It'll be an absolute treat. That atmosphere will be awesome. I can't wait to see kind of another, you know, the 8 o'clock Herb Street game where the crowd's rocking. We haven't gotten that in so long. I mean, we got one halfway version of it last year. Notre Dame beats Clemson, and then you have a bunch of people mad on the internet that they stormed the field and claimed it was some sort of super spreader. Glad we got that out of the way. Uh, There's nothing – how many COVID experts – not that I'm making light of COVID. I don't really like getting into COVID or politics here, but – uh, how many COVID experts do you think we'll have checking in on social media uh, this year about the crowds? I imagine that, I haven't, I'm haven't surprised that didn't happen last time. Maybe I just wasn't looking.
3: Yeah, uh, maybe they forgot that uh, college football start and they're, and it's the uh, main producer of, uh, of, of COVID spreaders uh, throughout the country. But yeah, I you know, it is what it is. I mean, I know that, um, you know, not trying to get into the politics or any of that sort of angle, but. You know, I get that there's some people that don't want to get vaccinated and that's, you know, that's their choice. But, uh, yeah, those uh, those whistleblowers uh, are not are not blowing the whistle uh, here early in the season. That's for sure.
2: Yeah. When the Twitter uh, pandemic data miners always check it in, telling you what's terrible about things. That's always clutch.
3: Um, let's
2: see. I Look, this would be the classic one if I was like back in my younger days. Like I would, I would do Clemson is definitely the smart play. And then like an hour before kickoff, I'd talk myself into Georgia plus three. So I'll just go to hell with it. Clemson. I, I'm not letting myself do that. I think they're a better team. I don't really know what to expect. The JT Daniels, you know, I talked to Antonio Morales, uh, friend of mine used to cover Ole Miss for the Clarion ledger now covers USC for the athletic and, we just like we were just shooting the shit, like catching up every so often, and we were talking about Daniels one day, and he was like, "Are we sure he hasn't just like peaked as a you know seventeen year old who played at a really good high school?" I'm just not positive he's good. I know he looked good in spurts towards the end of last season, so I, I, I'll take the more more known commodity uh quarterbacks. So I'll go Clemson.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it should. I mean, uh it, it almost should happen to where a top two to top five teams should play uh early in the year, and just to see. Uh, where where that is? I mean, Clemson uh, Clemson's a solid program, and uh, they they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Regardless if they lost ETN and Trevor Lawrence, you know, in the same same draft. So, um, I, you know, I, I'm almost uh, got comfortable to say that Clemson is a uh, very comparable to Alabama, and they just you know put more put more bullets in the gun, uh, replace more uh, bullets into the gun. So, uh, I, I'm gonna. I hate to agree with you on the Clemson, but I'm going to agree with you on Clemson. I just think that that JT Daniels is uh, still trying to figure it out, Um, and uh, I'm going to go with you on the Clemson. If I had, like, another point, like, I swear my pick might be different if it were four. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just – I mean, you know, you hate to go against the SEC, especially in a you know top five matchup, and you just you know assume that uh, the SEC is going to have better players. But you know, Clemson's, you know, I would say Clemson is uh, the most uh, comparable team to be in the SEC that's not in the SEC.
2: Here we go. We've got what was the other? One? Oh, here's the game. This is the game I think is going to absolutely rob people of money because this one is is per- perplexing to me. UCLA hosting LSU, UCLA looked sharp against a Hawaii team that if anyone watched parts of that game, there's no way you could think Hawaii was going to be pretty good. But Chip Kelly looked competent. That offense looked competent last week. This line has gone all the way down to plus two and a half. And it seems like Vegas uh, really likes UCLA here. Um, and the public seems to be favoring LSU. You know, it, And then you had the, the Hurricane Ida hit last week and LSU's dealing with a lot of stuff. My friend Brody Miller wrote a nice story in the athletic about, you know, some of the trauma and stuff that the fa- players, families and everything are going through. They've been displaced into Dallas, a lot of stuff going on there. But even before that, I, this thing was getting down to like three and a half, three. I, I think you got to go back the other way and go LSU. Now I just, I don't know if LSU is going to be good, good this year, but I still think they will be better than a pretty pedestrian UCLA team.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, didn't LSU uh, move to Houston for the for the week before uh, because of the hurricane, or were they in Dallas?
2: I can't remember. It may be. I think it's Dallas. Maybe it's Houston. Okay. I don't know. The Saints right. are in Dallas.
3: I think. I don't know. Who the hell
2: knows? Somewhere in Texas.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, it, it does uh, probably uh, knock uh, you know being misplaced like that and getting out of your routine and not being in your bed and not you know getting up and going to, you know, the the same practice field that you've been practicing at and that sort of thing. I mean, I can see that being a, um, an inconvenience for the LSU team, but I just think that, you know, across the board, LSU just has so much more better talent in each, every position. And, uh, you know, I know that's a tough, uh, get to, you know, go out to Southern California and playing a game, uh, play in a, in a tough game and being on West Coast time. But, I think uh, LSU just has the athletes, you know, on each side of the ball to 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 cancel that out. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with LSU here. I, I mean, I just um, with that with the points going down, it just yeah, you might think there's a there's there's something fishy in the water, but um, I, I just I just think LSU is just too talented across the board.
2: The lone game we get Sunday night, which is always nice because you realize you don't have to go to work in the morning. You might get after it a little bit more for this game. It's usually a pretty good one. It used to be like the classic like Florida State-Miami or some cool matchup. Now it's Florida State-Notre Dame. This is a classic game of like I have no idea what the hell to expect from Mike Norvell and Florida State this year. You know, Notre Dame breaking in a new quarterback. It's Florida State plus seven in Tallahassee. I don't even know if at the end of the year this is going to be one of those results where you might look back and it's like that made no sense. And so for that reason, I'm going to take the FSU plus seven because I think Notre Dame will be decent, but I think they will take a small step back and kind of go back toward that 9-3 and range this year after losing a decent bit from that playoff team. So I'm going to go FSU here, and I don't have any logic to back that up other than this game could get weird, and I'll just take the home team with the touchdown.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, um, bouncing back to those – taking those early underdogs early in the season. You know, you just think that, um, you know, hopefully the points pull through and uh, help you out. I mean, I can see this being a back-and-forth touchdown game. I mean, you know, both offenses are pretty decent. Like you were saying, Notre Dame's breaking in a new quarterback. But, um, you know, with that being said, I, I, I'm probably going to agree with you on the Florida State and just take the points and, you know, take the home dog and, you know, hopefully uh, either lose by, uh, lose by a field goal.
2: The one, There was one I skipped, the one major one. I, I ruled out Kansas State, Stanford, because I don't know anything about either of those teams. I skipped Alabama, Miami. So, Miami is hosting, or is this a neutral site game? Where's this game being played? Do you know? Um,
3: that feels like one
2: of those neutral site bowl Stadiums. I'll look at it. Up.
3: I think it's the first uh, first game at, at Atlanta. I think. Uh, I oh, think you're so. exactly right.
2: Yeah. Um, let me get the Rippy Wright's research department on that to confirm, but I think you're exactly right on that. It is, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. It's the Chick fil A kickoff game. I should have known that. It's, uh, it's Miami plus 19 and a half. This is going to be an interesting one because it's like how many times have you talked yourself into, oh, Alabama, that's a big number. And then they just absolutely cover it with ease and maybe double it up. But they are working in a new quarterback and young. They've got some question marks to answer on defense in terms like I think they're uber talented, but they do have a couple of guys in some key spots. As I remember from doing the Alabama opponent preview, where like, you need to see it first whatever take my money i'll do the miami plus 19 that that's so that's such a dumb bet but you know what i'm not going to fix my own brain here
3: yeah i mean i agree with you on it but uh i just you know it's just hard to bet against alabama it just uh regardless of how many uh players they lose to the nfl uh they they get replaced with a four-star or five-star that you know has just been waiting for his time to uh for to play and uh you know i'm not uh I'm, I'm not taking a, a, an NIL angle on at King, but uh, it seems like he's been working on his NIL profile uh, a little bit more than uh, probably his uh, quarterback time in the quarterback room. So uh, I just, with that being said, I don't know. I just think Alabama just, uh, just, it's a head scratcher. And you would think that 14 points is a lot of points. So, you know, for uh, in Miami in the top 15 uh, ranked preseason. They
2: are. Let's see. They're somewhere around there. So you are catching 19
3: and a half here. Oh, 19. I thought it was 14 and a half. Okay. Uh, I may
2: have said that. It's early, been a long week. Uh <laughs> let's not see. early not,
3: not early enough, right? Uh no, I, I you know, like you were saying, you know they're 14, uh, you're right, they're 14, rank 14. Uh, um, man, it's just hard to bet against Alabama because like as soon as you pull the trigger on I think Alabama's not gonna cover this weekend, and it's 21 to nothing after the first quarter, and uh Miami hadn't crossed the 50 yard line. So um I know it's an early game and uh, they haven't had any you haven't got a good feel for this Alabama team, but Alabama's always going to be Alabama. So uh, I'm going to pull the trigger on Alabama and see And uh, just let them blow them out the water.
2: Last one of the weekend. The one most people are probably tuning in for is Ole Miss Louisville, Ole Miss minus 10. Um, this line's, you know, kind of ballooned up to that nine, 10 point range. And then is really kind of stuck around 10 from there. Um, to me, to be completely honest, this is a stay, a complete stay away. You know, it's just a lot for Ole Miss to be a touchdown and a field goal when I haven't seen it from that defense yet. And the more and more I look at this Malik Cunningham kid, I think if Ole Miss is improved defensively in the areas where we, we, you know, you would think and hope they would be, you know, generating an exterior pass rush, you know, being a little bit better against the run. And of course the secondary having more depth, I think they could handle this kid and kind of corral him and keep him in a check to a pedestrian game. Cause I think the path to, to Louisville winning is this is, is Cunningham just kind of going off. Ole Miss can't contain him. He runs wild, finds a couple guys early to throw to, and just kind of has one of those 480 all-purpose yard days and just torches Ole Miss. So I think Ole Miss wins, but I don't know about this 10. So I'll say Ole Miss minus 10, sure, but that this is, to me, is just like stay away from this.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I try not to get excited about Ole Miss football regardless who the quarterback and who the running back is because – you know, it's Ole Miss and uh, uh, we've been down that road and uh, we've gone to that game and uh, been disappointed after the game. So uh, with that being said, I just, uh, I kind of like Ole Miss. Uh, I I, I do believe they think, I think they can win by two touchdowns. The defense is probably, uh, I mean, you can see the last three games of the year and especially in that uh, Indiana game that, you know, the defense has uh, made some adjustments and has made some moves. And, They've, uh, you know, uh, recruited really heavily in the secondary. And, uh, you know, that defense has been uh, practicing against, you know, one of the top offenses in the country uh, day in and day out. So, um, I, with that being said, I just I, – I, I see that, you know, Ole Miss can score at will. And if the defense can get, you know, a stop here and get off the field on a couple third downs and, you know, keep that third down efficiency, you know, uh, in a low percentage – I can't see why they couldn't win by two touchdowns. So I'm going to, I'm going to roll with the Rebs. I just, uh, you know, I just think that they've made some adjustments on defense to where, you know, you can't be as bad as they were last year. And I know that number was, what was it? 114 out of a hundred, you know, like there was only like eight defenses, you know, worse than Ole Miss. You, you can't be as worse as the defenses was last year. And I think they were slowly improving. I think the Otis, um, Um, The Otis. uh, Otis Reese. Yeah, Otis Reese. I think that, you know, uh, him playing those last three games, I think that, you know, uh, really kind of turned that defense around and got a little bit more organized back there. And, um, you know, I, I, I can't see why Ole Miss can't win by two touchdowns, if not more.
2: Week one picks are in the books. It's a uh, great feeling. I'll try to get these posted on the newsletter for Friday, so be on the lookout for that. I'm going to be more on top of keeping up with the records and stuff this year, but uh, it's back already. We're one weekend. It's a a damn good feeling after last year.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, and like you were saying, uh, we're going to be able to watch football games with crowd noise and not artificial crowd noise. So that's, uh, that's definitely a game changer, like you were saying with that Boise State Central Florida game last night. I think, it wasn't Boise did Central Florida end up winning they did they won 36 31 yeah I mean you know and uh, 20, and, uh Boise State was up 24 to 7 at one point that game so um, you know home home field advantage and uh, crowd noise is, uh, is definitely back in play and uh, uh, it's just exciting because uh, there's a lot of teams that uh, take advantage of that home field advantage and that crowd noise and uh, you know makes makes uh, makes the game a little bit more interesting and uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's just exciting to see, and uh, it, I'm happy for it to be back like that.
2: Before we let you get out of here, what's happening at the store this weekend?
3: Oh uh, well, we got Labor Day weekend, so uh, should be a uh, should be a pretty good weekend for us. Uh, uh, we're going to be open on Monday. Uh, it's hard to be closed on uh, Labor Day, even though it, uh, you're supposed to take off on Labor Day. But uh, yeah, we're ready to go. I've got I'm about to go uh, into the store right now and. Cut some fresh uh, prime ribeyes and uh, cut some fresh uh, filet mignons. And we still got the uh, Lane Train special and uh, five to six ounce bacon wrap filet for $12. We bumped it up to 12. So uh, with that being said, still got the Rippy right special. Come in and get you a 16 ounce strip and a pack of sausage for 20 bucks. I think that's probably with uh, beef prices the way they are. I think that's probably the best deal in the country right now. So, um, yeah, definitely take advantage of that. Best
2: deal in the country, best place in the world to get meat, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Check them out. Uh, Appreciate it, Greg. We'll talk to you again next week with the Full Slate NFL Games.
3: Oh, yeah, we'll be, we'll be pulling the trigger on some games next weekend, and we'll be ready to go, and we'll be ready to probably cash some tickets and uh, start out the season right on, on a positive note.
2: And that was LB's Greg. We'll start doing some version of that each week, probably get some NFL games on next week. It's, uh, it's more uh, lighthearted and humorous than it is trying to make money. But, hey, there was that one year where Greg earned his nickname, The Meat Sharp, and uh, hit it like 65 67% or something crazy for about an eight- or nine-week stretch, and that's kind of how the segment took off. So uh, that was back in the early days of the podcast. But anyway, appreciate you guys listening if you made it this far to the end. Have a safe and happy Labor Day weekend. I will catch a lot of you guys hopefully on the uh, Rebel Grove post game show in some form on Monday. Weldon and I will have a podcast on Tuesday evening. Give him some time to rewatch the game. I'll try to do so myself. We're going to go Tuesday night because obviously I've got like a desk job now, won't be able to do it that morning realistically. But uh, as we kind of get into normal games on Saturdays, the idea will be we will record sometime Sunday. We'll probably watch the game again, record mid-Monday, or excuse me, mid-Sunday morning and have that up Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. So uh, that's kind of the plan for the Weldon content. Probably do some preview stuff as well on some Fridays. But uh, if you're looking for the Rippy Weldon version of the podcast, that's going to be the day after the game most of the time. It's just uh, probably be slightly later this time because, uh, you know, guy's got to make a living at his day job. So, anyway, have a safe, happy, and fun Labor Day weekend. Hopefully enjoy some weather outside, not too hot, do some dove hunting, maybe play some golf, and uh, watch some awesome football this weekend. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast.